your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a post snowpocalypse Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM, 608 785 7914. That's the talk and text line. Steve Doyle, state rep. Uh oh, I didn't write it down. 94, Steve? You got it right. <laughs> All right. 94 and 95, I was mixing them up. Uh, 94th Assembly District, the greater lacrosse area, I like to call it. Uh, he's going to join us for this hour. I sent him a list about like two minutes ago of about 400 things I want to talk about. Uh, I give you I give you the list just with enough time not to be able to like deep dive into anything. So I got to get everything off the top of your head. Um, yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. Appreciate <laughs> right. that. So, okay, first of all, the conversation we were having one minute before going on the air about bail reform. Can we have that conversation on the air at some point here? Just just the idea that uh, uh, you legislators uh, have to really probably do some homework on on some complicated things. When the but when Governor Evers puts his bit budget out, there's like five billion things in there, uh, and then you have to vote for or against this thing, or you have to work. I mean, do you even have a part of the part of the pro- budget making process when the Republicans control the legislature? Well, we have uh, two members from the Assembly and um, I think two members from the Senate that are on the committee, you know, but the Republicans have a, a greater, much greater majority on the, the Joint Finance Committee. So, you know, our our party has input, but to be honest, most of the votes tend to be, you know, lopsided with all Republicans voting one way and all Democrats voting the other way in Joint Finance, you know, but... You know, at least we have people at the table who can express their opinion and hopefully, you know, can have some input onto it. But, you know, ultimately it's the Republicans that uh, will be sending the budget to the floor of the legislature and on to the governor. We have a $7.1 billion projected budget surplus. We're coming out of a pandemic. Inflation's pretty high, even though everyone says the economy's doing well. I would say that, like, we aren't doing well as, as citizens. Not doing great anyway. Maybe pretty okay, but inflation's is up there. Is this the most important budget process, uh, you know, in Wisconsin history? I don't know. Maybe there's a Great Depression budget at some point that was important. But in, in terms of, you know, the thing that just happened the last three years, the amount of money there is to play with and, you know, kind of trying to help the public in, in some of these issues that, that are going on. Well, I, I think it's certainly, um, you know, it's not the most important, one of the most important budgets that we've had during my time in the legislature. I mean, what we do with this budget is to make some decisions with regard to opportunities that we'll probably never have again, at least in my lifetime. Um, you know, so we can be like drunken sailors and go on a spending spree and, you know, wake up with a really bad hangover and an empty budget the, the next day. I don't think anybody wants to do that. You know, I think that we're talking about um, a multitude of things. We want to do some tax cuts. The Republicans have one version. The Democrats have another version. I think we'll probably see a kind of a combination of the two uh, there. I think both sides want to get rid of the personal property tax, which is uh, something that, you know, our small businesses and, and large businesses have been telling us for years they want us to do. So I think that that's going to be in there. You know, and then on the flip side, you know, where are we going to spend some of the money? Um, you know, I think that, you know, both sides want to add some money to education. Both parties have different ideas of where that should go. I think we want to continue to spend money to, you know, complete the, the broadband expansion projects. 
um, you know, we'll never um, have enough money to totally fix all of our roads, but we're going to, you know, make an effort to, to, you know, catch up on that too. So, you know, there's no shortage of, of ways to spend the money. We just have to do it wisely, recognizing that, you know, we're, we're tasked with this responsibility to, to be, you know, respectful of the voters and the taxpayers and recognizing that, you know, this is money isn't going to come around again. We can't put something in the budget that's going to require us to spend, you know, money going forward in the same fashion. You know, so it's, a lot of it's going to be one-time uh, kind of things rather than adding to the base. That was my next question. Is why, why do you say this money isn't going to come around again? Are we changing the system so much that the budget surplus won't grow, or are, are people going to spend differently? Where I think, I, I mean, we can get into how we got a seven point one billion dollar budget because everybody I talk to isn't very clear to me the messaging on you know this is how it how it grew to this. I get seven point one billion is a large number. The pie chart. I just want a pie chart, even if it has ten thousand things in it. Um, but but are we changing the system so we won't have this again? Well, I'd say there's two things. Number one is the economy is probably not going to grow in the same way that it did, you know, post-pandemic when with all that federal money coming in, people went on a spending spree and incomes went up for the people who were working at the time. And, um, you know, so we saw a lot more money coming into the state coffers than we ever had any idea what would happen. So that's not likely okay. to happen again. Wait a minute. So, in the, know, Steve, in the, last secondly, three, in the last three years, we've seen people get like giant raises and also the go- the federal government gave us like $2000. So it's it's kind of funny do you think like, we went on spending spree with $2000 from the feds and also did we get a ton of raises over the last 3 years? Well, we're starting to see that, you know, since the pandemic, uh, employers are being put in a position where they have to offer some pretty significant raises because they can't find employees. So, I mean, you know, so there was a lot of money coming into the system, especially with the federal stimulus that we're not going to see, uh, you know, again, going forward. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is, you know, if we're talking about tax cuts, that's forever. Yep. I mean, this isn't a one-year tax cut. This is changing, you know, the, the tax rates so that we're intentionally saying, going forward, we want to take less money out of your pocket to send to the, to the state coffers, you know, so, so that will in and of itself reduce the amount of money we have available or the amount of money that would be, you know, building up in a surplus, you know, going forward. We don't want to have $7 billion surpluses every, you know, every two years in, in the budget. I mean, that just shows reckless taxation. You know, we need to, you know, have a surplus is good. It's important. We need a rainy day fund, but, you know, at, at, some point you have to figure out where you draw that line that a surplus is too big and you need to change the system so that you're having small surpluses not 7.2 billion dollar surpluses all right and we're going to take a break i'll give you a minute to think about this but the the way we have a budget surplus and your your the school districts in your district i guess uh we in lacrosse school district obviously we they keep asking for money so either we we change the game in terms of taxing people, or maybe we change the game in terms of funding schools. But we'll get to that in a minute. we got to take a break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk text line. Steve Doyle, Assembly Rep of District uh, 95? 94. 94. 94. The greater lacrosse areas uh, spending the hour with us. Um, I'm deep diving on on. On during the break about uh, how we got a $7.1 billion budget surplus. But before we, we do that, and we, I should have did this to start the show because I just like to start light. 
how does Steve Doyle, how do alpacas, you have an alpaca, I don't know if you call it an alpaca farm, but you have a hobby, hobby farm with alpacas. They love the snow, they hate the snow. Oh, they love it. I always say they like January and February better than they like July and August. Um, they, I mean, they're all wearing alpaca sweaters. Right. Um, they're sitting out there right now with uh, about an inch of snow on their backs. They could go inside, but they're sitting out in the snow. Yeah, that's like my uh, golden retriever. She just, I'm going to go sit on the deck in the foot of snow before you shovel it. I, I have to now leave a pile of snow on the deck for my dog to go sit in. Um, you're, a good, you're a good dog owner. <laughs> and then, well, you have some golden retrievers too, don't you? I have two of them. They must do the same thing. And uh, I don't know, shoveling-wise. So, Steve, I, I have my neighbor gave me a regular shovel. He was cleaning out his garage. And then I bought one of these electric shovels. Have you ever used one of these? These push shovels that just no. shoot garbage. I'm the, the free electric, sho- <laughs> the free regular shovel that your neighbor gives you when he cleans out his garage, a thousand times better than I used it today. I tried this electric shovel. There's too much snow. I can't even do it in one swoop. And also like it takes, it, it just barely pushes it. So, I mean, I maybe, maybe for someone that's like 85 years old, maybe that would work well, but not for me. So I have a super long driveway, so I have a Polaris Ranger UTV with a blade on the front, and uh, I hardly work up a sweat at all when I'm sitting inside pushing that snow. Well, that's what I, I mean, I did that too, but uh, it wasn't easy today, actually. My driveway goes up the bluff, though, so it's a little more difficult. Um, and then I don't know where to put the snow. I ended up putting it in, the, in that neighbor's yard who gave me the shovel, so I don't know. We'll see if he appreciated that. <laughs> Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. If you want to shoot me a text, Steve Doyle is going to join us here or is joining us. I'm talking about the budget surplus. Uh, so I oftentimes talk about how Democrats are terrible at messaging and Republicans steal the message all the time. They make the easiest arguments. So we want to talk about Governor Evers' budget. Uh, Republicans, well, I guess Evers trying to take this too. Republicans want to lower your taxes, and they're going to do that. They don't say it, but by a flat tax, which is going to benefit the rich. Governor Evers has his own plan where I think families under $150,000 and uh, single people under $100,000 just get a 10% tax cut. But other messaging, the budget surplus, $7.1 billion. How do we get it, Republicans? Governor Evers is just taking your tax money, just taxing you too much. We got to get rid of it. We got to give the money back. Um, and then Democrats. I mean, that's, that's an interesting argument. <laughs> Governor Evers is taking too much of your money. <laughs> if you go back a little less than two years from, from now, um, who was it that passed the budget and sent it to the governor and he signed the budget? I mean, the, the governor signed the Republican budget. So, I mean, they're both in the, in the thick of it at this point. He issued some, you know, some partial vetoes, but it was their budget. So, you know, I, I don't think that you can really blame anybody. I would, instead of issuing blame for a surplus, I would issue credit for a surplus. You know, things, we, we budgeted conservatively, both Republicans and Democrats. Um, nobody on the Republican side expected the governor to sign their budget because it was a pretty conservative budget. Um, but he surprised him, and, and he did. So he deserves credit for signing it. They deserve credit for passing it in the first place. Um, but... You know, to say, man, things really worked out way better than anybody predicted, so we have to blame somebody for that? I mean, I don't blame people for um, having passed a budget that both parties agreed was a conservative, responsible budget. Well, you, uh, you signed I, that I, budget, I too, didn't you? Out how to be responsible in doing the next budget. You signed that budget as well, right? You've, I, I fell off yep. my chair. Steve Doyle signed the Republican budget? What? Yep, I voted for it. I mean, the- I'm... I'm, I'm proud to say i did i mean look at the good things that it did 
the the comedy there is that you sign the budget, Evers signs the budget, and then Republicans are mad when Evers takes credit for the budget that he signed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they like I said, they did not expect him to uh, to sign it. You know, they figured in the, this last election they'd be able to say, "Look, he had a chance to sign this great budget, and and he but instead he vetoed it. So shame on him." Uh, but instead, he signed it, and I, I give him credit. But like I said, I also give the Republicans credit for putting forward a budget that was close enough to what he found acceptable that he went ahead and signed it. But that's great. I mean, that's how the system should work. And I, I should point out, we get a $7.1 billion budget surplus. I, I talk about all the weird things that had just happened over the last three years, also factoring in to why we get a $7.1 billion budget surplus. Like, this is everything is weird, and this this is part of that, I would assume. I mean, nobody has figured out this current economy yet. I mean, we've never gone through what we did with, you know, a pandemic followed by record amounts of federal stimulus being dumped, you know, into state governments and into the private sector. Um, you know, uh, if you look at probably the, the the cause of the surplus more than anything would be the huge amount of money from the federal government. On the other hand, you could probably also say that inflation is at least in part due to the fact that the federal government probably overheated the the economy with all that that money, um, which then you know resulted in, in the inflation. So, um, but you know, again, we were in uncharted territory, and people did what they thought was best. And, and you know, I'd rather be in the situation that we are today than you know in the middle of the depression. Yeah, the the other thing that's funny too is you talk about like the federal government overheated the economy and we have all this inflation, but we also on the flip side have corporations making record profits, which in tune leads to a budget surplus because record profits by corporations means they're getting taxed on profits. So like you know like and I don't I don't need to get into like how do we solve inflation versus record profits with uh, with you unless you want to try to solve it right now, Steve. I'm not an economist, um, and I'm also not a weather forecaster. Those are two areas where they, I think they just kind of make up stuff as they go along. So I'm not even going to take a shot at that one. <laughs> um, it, it, are you are you mad because before before the year flipped and before your your new term started, you had talked about hey the legislature could meet in so so to speak like a lame duck session and try to give out some of this budget surplus money. We did this under Governor Scott Walker before he uh, went up for election against Tony Evers. We gave budget surplus money back. We're still, for over a year now, a year and a month, year and two months, we've been sitting on billions of dollars of budget surplus. Are you kind of mad that we haven't done anything with it? Yeah, I mean, I have not changed my position. Um, you know, I could understand if, you know, people didn't want to have a vote on it before the November election because then it would influence the election. But you know, the the election was, what, November 8th or whatever. Um, we could have had a special session, you know, December, January, February. We could have one in March. But I'm taking it that at this point, we're just looking at uh, a budget passing presumably in June. Well, you say special session, but you mean extraordinary session because that's when the legislature calls one. Oh, you're a smart guy, Rick. Yeah, right? You caught me on that one. Because Governor Evers called a special session literally a year ago. I think it was in January right. of last year. Or, yeah, I think, it, yeah, January. So 11 months ago, hey, let's do something with the billions and budget surplus. And uh, I think 11 times Republicans have gaveled in and out of Evers' special sessions. And, you know, I think they're going for a record, like, 15 seconds. 
Right. So, I mean, you know, Robin Voss and Devin Lemahieu could cause or could call an extraordinary session of the legislature, you know, the Assembly and, and the Senate. Um, you know, they have chosen to take a more measured approach, you know, going through the deliberate process of the, you know, the, the normal budget proceedings. You know, that's fine. I mean, I, I, on the other hand, I feel bad for people that could use the, the relief today rather than in July. But, you know, at least we have people... You know, at the table talking about these things, you know, and they're they're making considered decisions rather than rushing into it. You know, so you know, I guess that's that's fine. At least we're talking about a surplus and not a deficit. That would be a disaster. So, is a big part of the budget surplus and and giving the money back to the taxpayers some kind of tax cut? Is that like the biggest part of the plan that that needs to happen? Oh, I think so. And I mean, you know, as you said, the Republicans want the flat tax um, and the Democrats want it targeted toward lower and middle class. Um, But, you know, when you're talking over seven billion dollars, everybody can get something. So the Republicans will get some of their flat tax. It won't be a flat tax, but it'll be a reduction in the, the highest rate. And, you know, Evers and the Democrats will get something in the lower tax rates. So, you know, you know, the lower brackets. So, I mean, everybody will get something. Nobody will get everything they wanted. But that's how politics works. And that's how, you know, legislating works. What? So that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, I am a big fan of divided government. If we had the Republicans running everything or the Democrats running everything, it'd be a totally different dynamic. And I think this the current dynamic is actually a good dynamic for government. What does a budget surplus have to do with changing the taxes? Because we still would have $7 billion of budget surplus. Going forward, the tax system would change. Or are we saying we're going to hoard that billion dollars in surplus because changing the tax system is going to blow a hole in the budget going forward? Well, it's our expectation that that $7 billion will be in the current budget biennium. So if we change the tax rates, that will affect the next budget, so the, you know, the, the, the following two-year budget. And so we'll bring in less money uh, because taxes will be lower. Um, and so you know, presumably that will mean we'll have a smaller uh, surplus next time. Okay. Um, like when, when Republicans float this flat tax idea, uh, why do they think that's a good idea? Because what what citizen out there that's making under what two hundred fifty thousand dollars, I guess, in Wisconsin is going, yeah, flat tax sounds great. Like give those people, you know, give those rich people a tax break. I don't get it. Well, I mean, I favor a progressive tax system where you know people at the, the higher end, you know, pay a higher percentage, and people at the lower end get get more of a break. Um, I can understand the argument that conservatives and Republicans are putting forward that, well, hey, you know, if I'm paying in more and we're talking about getting cuts, I should get a a greater cut because I'm paying in more. I mean, you know, so I understand the logic of both sides. Uh, I guess I'm looking at it more in terms of the people that need the help are the people at the lower end of the income scale. Um, And, you know, so we should I'd rather give a tax cut to help people at the lower end of the income scale than to be having to increase welfare type of benefits. I mean, if we can, if we can adjust our economy so as to have, you know, pretty much universal employment, you know, and we're pretty close to that right now, where everybody that, you know, that can work is working, um, then we're talking about helping people who are working but are making low incomes, give them a break versus 
throwing people out of work and having to give them, you know, monthly stipends in the form of welfare or food stamps or whatever the case may be. So I think that, you know, we're in a situation right now where we can fundamentally alter the dynamics of our economy. And, you know, this is a chance, like I've been saying, you know, it's a chance if we get it right, we can have some really long-term positive impacts on our economy. That's the Doyle Assembly Rep in District 90. Four. Four. 94. Now, see, I've, I've screwed myself because I got it right the first time. Uh, we're gonna. I, I got a. I got a tax idea that I talked about yesterday that I want to float at you. But we got to take a break. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back to the Crosstalk PM six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the text line. Steve Doyle, Assembly Rep in District 94 joining us for this hour, uh, really just deep diving on, on budget, budget talk. Uh, a couple of texts I got, and I don't, I don't know how the context of these might be, might be a little bit difficult, Steve, but uh, Bill says, Rick, you and I got $2,000 from the federal government, but my neighbor wa- with five kids got over $10,000. So you, right. Because they had five kids. So every kid got $2,000. <laughs> Um, uh, another text here. I don't believe returning the budget surplus to the taxpayers is a good thing. Yes, it would have an impact, but the impact will be forgotten two months, forgotten two months after the money is spent. If the government uses that money responsibly, it could make long lasting impacts in the entire state for years to come. What would those impacts be like? What, what do you, what do you think the best long-term effects of using? Cause t- in my head, the budget surplus is a one-time thing, right? Like, so we got to use it on infrastructure, stuff like that. Maybe, when the lacrosse school district wants to build a new high school or or, or uh, get their buildings upgraded because they're eighty million dollars in the hole uh, on Alaska and Holman, same same deal, right? They're going to taxpayers for building upgrades. Can't we use the budget surplus for stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's pretty much consensus that we need to give uh, a, a good chunk of it back in terms of tax cuts. You know, it'll wash out in terms of what type of tax cut, but we'll we'll see that. Then the rest of it, I think that, you know, you need to look at it as one-time money. So let me use La Crosse County as an example of, of trying to use one-time money. Um, it, two, two good examples. One is um, solar panels. So if we put solar panels on some of the county buildings, that's a one-time expenditure that will have a long-term impact. It'll reduce year after year after year after year um, our energy consumption bill. Um, secondly, you know, we can do some... Uh, road repairs at the county level where we've been falling behind. So, you know, if we do, and I'm just going to make this up, let's say we do, you know, 10 miles of roads in an average year, but because of this surplus, um, that some of which is coming back to the local governments, instead of 10 miles, we're able to do 15 miles of, of repairs. You know, it's a one-time thing. It doesn't mean that every year we have to do 15 miles, but it gets something done um, and is a responsible use of money that will have a long-term impact. You know, so those are the kinds of things that we need to be looking at. If you use it for, like, starting a new program, well, then what happens after the, the two-year budget expires? You know, does that program go away, or now is that built into the base, and so we have to tax people for that every year? You know, so that's why we're really more focusing on one-time uh, types of expenditures that um, – you know, like a smart household would do if they had money coming in. You know, you 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 buy that washing machine that you hadn't been able to afford, or you, you buy that new car, but you don't, you know, do something that is going to 
puts you in an ongoing, you know, vicious cycle of constantly having to, you know, keep paying the same amount of money that you no longer have. Is fixing the roads, because everyone, everyone wants us to fix the roads, but is fixing the roads a little bit more complicated than just like, go fix the roads? Because you talk about like, we could use the money to fix the roads, but what if we use the money to buy machines that are used to fix the roads? Because then that would be long-term infrastructure. Um, also, if we fix too many roads at the same time, then everyone's going to complain that there's all every road is under road construction. So we can't fix all the roads all the time. Well, we don't have the money to fix all the roads at all the time, so or, or at one time. So that that's not a danger of that problem happening. Um, in terms of buying the machinery, you know, Lacrosse County, for example, does have machinery. Lacrosse County does a lot of its own road building and, and construction. We contract out, uh, you know, the private sector for, for some stuff. But, you know, we have the machinery to, to do that. You know, and so um, when we're talking about, you know, fixing more roads, it, it, literally all we're paying for is some additional labor and some materials. And asphalt is not cheap, so, we're, you know, that, that is a, a pretty pricey deal, which is why we have been falling behind and, and why we're, seriously looking at, you know, bumping up the amount of money at the county level that we're spending for road repair. Same story at the state level. That's, you know, pretty much some consensus. We need to spend more money on roads, you know, at least for a one-time, you know, kind of thing. The the debate is going to be, do we spend it over in Milwaukee on all their interchanges and all that kind of stuff, or do we spread it around the rest of the state, which would certainly be my preference. Well, I know that the county has, uh, like, uh, machinery that fixes the roads, but we could buy more machinery, Steve, and then consistently you would have to add to the budget to hire more workers, but like you would have more machinery to fix more roads forever, for for as long as machines work, right? Uh, yeah, but I don't think we need more machinery. I mean, it, we could probably hire more workers to get more hours out of that machinery every, every uh, season, but I don't think that all of our road building machinery is, you know, being used twenty four seven during construction season as as it stands. Oh, okay. I just well then, and then that gets back to if we're using the thing all the time, then all the roads are under construction, and then everyone's complaining that we we have to stop at every you know every two miles because of the flag man sitting out there. Um, I would be willing to defend that one. If people want to yell that we're fixing too many roads, they should feel welcome to give me a call. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to listen to, to those complaints because I think in the long run, people will appreciate it. All right. I'm moving on. Okay, we, enough budget. Well, maybe I'll get to the Brewers thing. I don't know. I might run out of time. Uh, a thing on the April ballot is two, two questions that change the Constitution. So pretty important stuff, right? Like we're going to literally change Wisconsin's state constitution in terms of bail reform. You live with a judge who's going to be affected by this or not? The, if this passes, will, will, will Gloria be affected by bail reform questions? Sure. What it says is that in addition to what a judge can consider today for um, releasing a person out on bond, um, there is an additional thing that they can consider, which is you know basically dangerous to the community. Right now, and, and, and there's some difference you know, steps like whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor and so forth. But right now, mainly a judge can only consider how much money is it going to take to make sure this person shows up for trial. You know, so it's, it's to keep people from fleeing. Um, and, and the way the law reads right now, you know, there's less of an ability for a judge to say, well, you know, I think you're, you're dangerous to the community because 
under the Constitution as it now stands, you're innocent until proven guilty. So it seems like an obvious thing, well, you know, gee, it, we should have it so that the judges can consider you know, dangerousness. And, and the reason that all of our lacrosse judges and our lacrosse DA are saying, well, no, we're opposed to that, is not because they don't like that concept. What they don't like, and the reason why I did not support it, is that it is a Band-Aid on a problem that requires major surgery. Uh, simply giving judges the ability to consider dangerousness will result probably in people saying, okay, problem solved. It will not lessen crime. It will not lessen the danger to the community. It will not improve the situation. And, and that's why our, our judges and our DA are saying, you know, this is a, a false choice here. Um, we want to have a safe community, but if if we don't look at it, you know, comprehensively, we're not solving the problem. We're just really kind of doing a, a bit of a shell game here. Um, and, and you know, the, the debate is, you know, a lot of times we hear, you know, cash bail versus no cash bail. You know, the federal system does not have cash bail. People say, well, gee, that just means people are going to get out and, and commit crimes. Well, no, what it means is a, a, a judge can say, sorry, I'm not giving you bail. You know, instead of I'm going to put a million dollars or I'm going to give five dollars, a judge can say, no, you're not getting out. You're staying until trial. Um, you know, so that argument that cash bail makes us safer is what the judges and the DA are pushing back on, saying it doesn't make us safer. It just means that the people who can't afford it are in jail, but the people who either have a lot of money or have friends with money or they've got a very lucrative drug-selling business that they have money squirreled away somewhere, those are the people that can get out. And Joe Schmo, who doesn't have that kind of money, who did exactly the same thing and is exactly the same risk to the community, he sits in jail while the other person is out probably committing more crimes. That's what they want to prevent. Yeah, why well, don't – if the federal system works well, I mean, does it, the federal system work well? No system right now works perfectly. Um, there are experts that would say that the federal system is better than what, what we have in Wisconsin, but there are some tweaks that need to be made to it to make it more fair and, and really to make it more uniform across the country because you still have you know differences in, in how people are looked at. Some of it is geographic dis- differences. Some of it is racial differences. Um, some of it is income differences. Some of it is the nature of the crime, you know, is a, is a white-collar criminal um, more dangerous or less dangerous than, uh, you know, a burglar, for example? You know, and so, so those kind of things still need to be ironed out, um, which is why our judges and our DA are saying, let's look at the big picture. Let, let's not just tweak one little thing. Let's solve the problem. And I agree with that. I mean, I give them credit for saying the system is broken. What we're doing right now isn't making people safe. We want to be part of the solution here. All right, but this thing is on the on the ballot, and if you read it, I think it's a little bit of a word salad, but if you read it, the, the questions are worded in a way where it, they seem like a no-brainer, I'm going to vote yes on this thing. Well, I agree. It's going to pass. Um, and we have the bill coming up in the legislature to implement it because it, the, the constitutional change really relies upon a legislative change to define some of the, the parts of it. I expect that will pass in March before the uh, you know the, the um, ballot yeah, question yeah. comes up on the, in the election in April. 
you know, so yeah, I mean, it's going to pass and we're going to be under that new system. And I'm hoping that what that does not mean is that everybody says, okay, we've solved the problem. Let's, let's move on because we haven't solved the problem. Um, growing up, I heard this a lot. You half asked it. My dad would tell me that a lot. Uh, is that what well, we're doing that, right? That is pretty much what it is. Yes, <laughs> you, you, I think that's the technical term. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, is there? Can we down the road full asset? Or is, I don't understand why this is a partisan thing. Republicans? Is it be like the the idea of get, getting rid of cash bail is like a, a partisan thing? Is that the oh, is that the dilemma? Everything is partisan these days. I mean, that's unfortunate. You know situation that we're in right now is there's nothing that's nonpartisan, you know, at, at this point, and everybody is trying to, you know, position themselves for the, ne- the next election. Um, so, you know, we, we haven't solved the problem. I hope that after the April election, we still keep talking about this issue, because it will still be an issue after the April election. All right. So you're, you're at least a part-time lawyer, right? Can I, is that fair to say? Um, I am a, I'm a full-time legislator and a full-time lawyer, so I kind of live a dual existence. All right, and obviously, and you're married to a judge. You have you probably have a better perspective on this than arguably most in the state legislature. How many people in the state legislature don't have any idea how this works? And when I say we're half-assing it, because I talk to you, I talk to uh, Tim Grinke, the DA here. Uh, I kind of understand it. Even I don't like. Talking to you guys, and you're you're defining it very well, but still, I'm like, God, I don't know. But the state legislature, how many people in the legislature are kind of like, mm, I'll just vote yes because you know the rest of my party is doing so, or vote no? I, I would say that's that's probably most members of the legislature um, because we are generalists. So you know, you would expect the lawyers would have a better handle of things. Um, you know, some issues come up where the accountants understand it better than the lawyers, and other issues come up where the realtors understand it better than the lawyers. You know, this happens to be one where lawyers probably understand the nuances better than some of the other people, and most of the members of the legislature are not lawyers. Um, but, you know, you, you, I think, have an obligation every time you vote on something in the legislature to have done your homework. It's really easy, though, to have your homework done for you if the leadership of your party says, you know, vote yes or vote no. And, and I think that happens an awful lot. And again, part of it is because we are generalists and, you know, we have to listen to somebody. So do we listen to lobbyists? Do we listen to the legislative leadership? Do we listen to the governor? Um, do we listen to talk radios? Uh, you know, the, Rick Solons or the Charlie Sykes's or the Tucker Carlson's, um, you know, who do you listen to? Um, theoretically, you're supposed to listen to the voters, but voters on this issue would put their hands up in the air and say, I don't understand it. I think I know what it means, but, you know, very few people actually get the nuances. Uh, real quick, I want to talk uh, just a little bit county board because I want to do a little bit local, but f- first thing, Sports gambling, like legalizing that, is that yeah ever even a topic? We talk about legalizing marijuana, and I get that there's a danger there uh, in a way of legalizing recreational marijuana. But sports gambling, Minnesota is doing this. Why, why, why not Wisconsin? You know, to be honest, I have not heard anybody really seriously talk about that in Wisconsin. Uh, not to say that it couldn't come up, but it, it simply has not. I mean, I, it hasn't gotten the champion in the legislature at this point. Um, so I don't know how it would fare. Are we... I suspect it, at this point it would not pass. Um, but, you know, just like a- any issue, usually you end up talking about it for a few years before something actually happens. 
are we like is it offensive to Native Americans who have a monopoly on gambling in the state or something? I don't understand this. This is free money. Like we we have the lottery, which is just gross. So why not have sports gambling, which at least I have like a a little bit of a say in what I'm doing when I when I make a bet. I think that's a decent argument. Um, I have not heard that the tribes are concerned about, you know, uh, sports gambling taking away from the the tribal gaming. Um, If that got to be a serious discussion in Madison, I'm assuming that they would weigh in on it. But, you know, like I said, it just hasn't gelled at this point. I I really have not heard much discussion about that issue. Can you bring it up? Do you like it? (laughs) Can you you start it? I don't really have a strong feeling on it. I never win, so I don't gamble. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, I mean, we got a pretty good budget surplus and this would add to it, but that seems like a pretty easy way to, and also, why are you telling me I can't, I can't pick LeBron James to score 40 points tonight? Like, wh- like who are you to tell me that? <laughs> if you do vote on that amongst your friends, I don't think you're going to get busted. <laughs> um, all right. County board, the, uh, big, big things in the County board is bridge housing and the diversity inclusion consultant. Are those the two biggest things going on with the County board or anything else? And, uh, those are, um, probably the two biggest right now. Um, you know, we have our new administrator on board. Um, and so Jane Claycamp has gone from interim administrator where you're kind of in a holding pattern, uh, to now that she is the administrator, I think we're going to see more innovative ideas from her um, uh, because I know she's got the talent, and uh, you know, so I expect that we're going to see some pretty cool stuff, just like we saw that from Steve O'Malley over the years. You know, um, he he came up with lots of ideas that nobody else had thought of. I think Jane has that kind of of capacity, and and so we're going to be, you know, I think some people are going to be pleasantly surprised. I will not be surprised because I expect it to happen. Those two issues that you mentioned, yeah, those are that's kind of where we're at. We're still trying to figure out, um, you know, what we're doing with the ARPA money. Um, we did not want to, you know, go on a spending spree. We wanted to think it out, talk it out, uh, you know, make very considered decisions on that. And so, you know, we're. I don't want to say that we're at the early stages. We're probably in the middle stages on, on that. Yeah, the deadline for that is this year, and then it needs to be spent by next year, right? Um, I think for some stuff it even goes beyond that, you know, but, but, you know, so we've got, we've had, um, committees meeting or task forces or whatever you would call it to look at the different topics. And, and, uh, you know, then we had our own county board, um, uh, retreat, uh, you know, where we talked about, you know, have our priorities changed at all. And, and so, you know, I think we're, we're doing it right. Um, and there's not consensus on everything yet, which is a good thing. It makes us, keep talking and finessing and, and uh, making sure that we haven't missed anything. Do I need to bring Jane on to just harass her for an hour sometime? Oh, you should. I mean, she, she's been with the county for decades now. Um, she is a wealth of information. You should get her on your show as often as you can because you will learn a lot. Yeah, I think I, I, I think it's one of those things. I've had, I had Steve on once. I, just, I don't understand a county administrator, so therefore I don't know what to talk to them about, but maybe Jane will tell me. Um, all right. All you have to do is ask her what's going on in the county and what are your future plans. And <laughs> sure. I fill up your hour. All right, Steve. Hey, I appreciate you stopping in. Uh, well, calling in, I suppose. Uh, have, have fun with the alpacas in the snow out there. Will do. Thanks for having me on. All right. See ya. Talk to you later. All right. We got to take one quick break. We'll be back. Oh, yeah. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Episode. 
for today, Lacrosse Talk PM. Again, my review of electric snow shovels, the ones that just shoot snow straight in front of you. One out of ten. My free shovel given to me by my neighbor Steve. It's not the greatest push shovel, but it was free and he gave it to me. We're going to rate that one a nine out of ten. Mainly because I'm cheap. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. See you tomorrow.